Welcome to another edition of Rose City Politics, where we inform, debate, discuss, and yes, sometimes even mock municipal issues in Windsor and Essex County. Sound off during the show through our Twitter account, at RCP Windsor. Welcome to another edition of Rose City Politics. It is Wednesday, July 18th, and we have uh, a heck of an interesting show for you tonight. Uh, Tonight we are going to be talking about campaign finance in municipal elections. Uh, It's going to be a little bit of an inside baseball show, but I think that's okay. Uh, Tonight on the panel, besides myself, I'm Doug Sartori. We also have sprightly Sarah Morris. How are you doing? I'm wearing a shirt that has a nickname. Oh, Mad Dog Morris. Even better. That's your wrestling name. Is that like your luchador name? Yeah. Okay, nice. All right. Uh, We've got powerful Paul Sinnott. It's been a while, Paul. How are you doing? Ah, I'm glad to be back again. Finally made it out the door of the studio and down the road. Are you uh, Are you here to defend your spending record uh, as campaign manager in 2014? Yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing to defend. I mean, you know, I worked with what I was got. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, uh, also on the show, we have rabble-rousing Don <laughs> Merrifield. How's it going, Don? I'm here to protect the rabble from all you guys there. All right. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so in the first half of the show, we are going to talk about money and elections. Um, then uh, in the second half of the show, we will do a segment on uh, new candidates for uh, municipal races. And if we get a chance, we are going to talk about um, the issue that is screaming through the headlines every single day in Windsor, child poverty. Uh, okay, so let's start with um, some new rules for campaign finance. Um, Sarah, do you want to uh, go through some of this information that you so sure. lovingly compiled? Because Sarah is not only a host <laughs> and she's running the board tonight, but she's also the producer of this show. That's right. I, uh, so yeah, well, well, let's talk about the new rules for 2018. So for anyone who has not gone through uh, a run before for a run for council, um, there's always been somewhat of uh, some spending limits um, in different ways. So the new rules for, for 2018 is that there's a limit for um, campaign contributions, and that's been increased. So previously, uh, for a person to donate to a campaign, it was $750. That's been increased to $1,200. Uh, there's also now an increase for candidates and their spouses to donate. And this is going to be a big difference because when we look at the numbers from 2014, um, a lot of the candidates are really donating the primary bulk of their campaign runs. Um, so that's an interesting change as well as there's a maximum total donation that someone can give during, um, during an election. So that's to $5,000. So um, going through the, the finances from 2014, you definitely saw that there were certain people who would donate often to different uh, campaigns. So now this is going to limit that. Uh, so they'll have to choose pretty wisely on who they want to donate to. Um, and then also the newest um, addition to our election laws is that you need 25 signatures to um, become a, a candidate as well. Those are some big changes. Um, but before we get in mm-hmm. digging into them, did you read every single candidate's financial disclosure from I 2014? I did. I really wow. did. Okay. This is Who had the worst penmanship? Oh, there were so many people <laughs> who did not do math. There was people who did math poorly. Uh, who uh, great write-offs though lots of write-offs for gas money the best one was for suit and tie I did see the suit and tie suit and tie I actually made a note of that and I was like good for you man because it 
you know what? If you're going to buy a suit and tie, you might as well write it off. Of course. So, yeah. um, well, if you legitimately had no other reason to own a suit and tie until you ran for council, I guess that's legitimately <laughs> low yeah, a legitimate Yeah, a good reason. So, yes, I definitely went through ward by ward. We broke down the numbers as well as for the mayoral race, too. So we have all of these numbers um, ready for you. We're going to discuss them all. So uh, let's, let's get started. Okay. Well, just before we dig too deep into it, <laughs> Um, we are broadcasting live from uh, the kitchen studios above Reno's Kitchen, and we definitely welcome your participation. Yes. Uh, if you are riveted by this discussion, if you feel that we uh, have talked about the spending of your campaign in error, uh, tweet at the show. RCP uh, Windsor is our Twitter address. We will be monitoring, and we will decide whether or not we will read your mean tweets when we get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so starting with the mayoral race... Um, the spending limit in 2014 for a mayoral campaign was $136,000. People came close. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, some people came close to the spending limit. The, uh, um, the John Milson campaign spent um, $133,582 in a losing cause. Um, that, is, uh, that is a lot. Uh, three campaigns were above 100000 Larry Horwitz spent one twenty-five. dollars thousand five hundred um and drew dilkins spent just a touch over one hundred and twenty nine thousand so um i want to ask paul a question um so we had three mayoral candidates over a hundred thousand and i think this is something we're going to talk about in the ward races as well what is the number that you think it takes in the city of windsor in 2018 to run a credible mayoral campaign um definitely more than 130 I mean, that's as part of all the, some of the changes that uh, that Sarah outlined as well. Um, you notice they, they changed a lot of limits. The one thing they didn't change was the spending limits, the top spending limits for the candidates, like ward-wise and, and for the mayor. So, I mean, what they're allowed to spend has stayed virtually the same. But what do you think it takes for a campaign to be credible, to be to be able to have a decent shot at winning and reach the people? Oh, oh well, credible is kind of a different level. But, I mean, yeah, for, certainly for the city of Windsor, you're talking north of 100,000. Because you, you look at the city of Windsor, um, if you add on the town of Tecumseh, that's two federal ridings. That's Windsor West and Windsor Tecumseh. And spending limit for a federal riding is in the neighborhood of eighty-five, ninety thousand per riding. So you know, you put the two together. Now you're talking about it's the same virtually as two federal campaigns. It's longer. Mm-hmm. Don't forget. I mean, last time was certainly longer from January first onwards. But I mean, traditional campaign season, say August, September, October, three months. So you're talking a federal comparison would be, you know, 180, 190, 200,000. They're doing sure. with, with, you know, less 130, 100,000. So, I mean, it's tough. It's really, really tough. So where's the line, though? Do you think that a, um, is a, is a $50,000 campaign potentially credible? Not really. I 75. Mean, it, this is where I'm, where I'm yeah. trying to pin you down, man. Uh, 75 <laughs> is, is getting close. I mean... If the bacon man can come up with eighty grand, can he be mayor? <laughs> That's what we want to know. Um, you you got to, with a, a very high-profile candidate, like a Sandra Pupatello, may be able to squeak by with 75 and 80 and an army of volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it starts getting starts getting very, very difficult. Because at that point, you're, you know, of course, mayor candidates, mayoral candidates are not knocking on all the doors no. across the whole riding. So it's strategic. So it's literature. Is, is a large part. Mm-hmm. Literature, lawn signs, and strategic ads. 
literature is expensive. I mean, you're talking. Yeah, if you look at even Drew in the last election, he was 60, 70, 80, $90,000 just in advertising and brochures and another 13. So that's, he's right. 100 grand just in advertising. Yeah, you, can, you can spend in a, in a federal campaign and one writing, you can spend 20, 25,000 on phone calls. Yeah, and right. Again, so again, you know, 50,000 in phone calls, 60,000 in literature. You're at 110,000. Your limit's 130. And I think your point is well taken that um, there are some factors that would that would tend to um, to move the floor, uh, the name recognition, the basic name recognition of a candidate um, could potentially move the floor. You might not just need to spend as much money introducing sure. that candidate to the public um, and uh, volunteers, because to some extent you can trade off volunteer hours for dollars in some sure. aspects of the campaign. Yeah, you need literature dropped. I mean, 100 people dropping your literature instead of paying Canada Post. Eight thousand dollars, but there's a hard limit to, sure. to to how and and I think uh, so. So it sounds to me like you're you're saying it's edging close to six figures if you want to run a credible at, campaign, at, at least for for a mayor's race. Yes, I mean and against. I mean, last time was an open race too. So I mean, you never know. Yeah, and now an open race, and now uh, a mayoral candidate has to raise that money in small increments, yeah. much smaller. Uh, so Don, what do you think about the, um, the that change? Do you think that that's going to make um, mayoral candidates more more responsive and more representative? I don't know if it's going to make them more representative. I think it may make them less beholden to certain groups. Like you know, we've talked about elections before. Obviously, you know, there's always kind of a union candidate and a pro business candidate, and uh, you know, if the unions can't. If any of those parties, I'm not just going to pick on unions, if a union or, you know, some corporation can't give large sums of money, the candidates are going to be kind of less beholden. It's going to be more of a grassroots type uh, fundraising situation now than before. Do you think candidates are ready for that change in terms of their fundraising? Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) No. I mean, let's face it, at the municipal level, one of the biggest pots of money that traditionally has been available is is the developer money. You know, the evil developers are already, you know, out there buying candidates. But it's one of the biggest pots of money that's uh, traditionally has been available. Now they're barred as a corporation, as are unions. Now, it is not talked about much. It's the same kind of loophole that's in the provincial and federal laws as well. Um, business donations aren't totally barred. If you're a sole proprietorship, yeah, you can still donate. Mm. To okay. a municipal campaign and do a personal donation. So potentially ten thousand across all races. Yes. For if for that unique circumstance. Right. I would just like to say, first of all, as a real estate agent, I am pro developer. So if any of them <laughs> want to give me money, I'm more than happy to take. Uh, we can't wait for your campaign to start, Don. Um, Sarah, you looked through all of the disclosures of all these mayoral <laughs> candidates. Um, what jumped out at you? Well, um, let's see. There was definitely the the fact of. Um, how many companies donated to, to talk to the prior point? Uh, even in the mayoral race, there was $100,000 of company money between uh, Drew Dilkins and uh, John Milston. So that is, that's, pretty, that's pretty steep, $100,000 in Windsor. Um, some of the other things, uh, the most expensive campaign in Windsor was uh, Ward 1, where um, Fred Francis spent $18,000. And uh, least expensive was Hillary Payne at $6,700. So... It's interesting to see. I thought that there, what was going to be surprising was I thought that um, incumbents would spend less money. It wasn't really the case. Uh, they, they were pretty well spending as much or more of uh, than the open seats. 
Um, and then it was interesting to break down for dollar per vote. Uh, I think there's a lot to say about that as well. We don't, you know, that that's an interesting number. I think that illuminates some things, but is not the whole picture. So if you do see who, you know, who did the best, who had the best dollar per vote, it was Joanne Geniak in Ward 6 with $2 and uh, 14 cents per vote, while the worst was Reno Bordelin at $8.49. However, there's a lot at play here, right? You have an incumbent, you have um, uh, a ward which has a higher voter turnout. Um, that vote for for uh, Councillor Bordelin was split pretty closely with the, the second um, in the election. So there's a lot to talk about there. Interesting, though, the, the worst dollar per vote, I won't name who, but uh, it came up to $27.95 per vote. Ouch. To a point where maybe just handing out $25 gift certificates would have been more effective. I would have voted for that. Here's an LCBO gift card. (laughs) Um, So I want to talk about the Ward 3 campaign because I think that's just to talk about the different dynamics that will affect dollars per vote. When we were prepping for this show, we had a a decently lively debate about the legitimacy of that statistic. And I think think it's it's a statistic that can be useful, but only with a whole uh, lot of context so let's talk about the context of that ward three race the um the second place uh finisher in that race actually spent more than the winner spent about sixteen thousand, if i remember correctly actually that's what's there is wrong because it's not reflected in the statement because remember we did the audit afterwards and there was another 2700 so in expenses mm. that were uh, that were assigned. So he close, was actually right at the limit. So close to nineteen thousand was spent yeah. by the the challenger. So in a in an environment in a, in a race where your competitor is spending the limit, um, that really raises the bar for you in terms of what it's going to take for you to um, to compete. So in um, in the uh, not only is Geniac an incumbent, but uh, it wasn't a very heavy spending um, ward. There weren't a lot of uh, yeah, the candidates, the, or... right? And the candidates didn't spend a ton of money. So there, the, the that that financial pressure. Once it's you know, once somebody starts putting money in the pot, other mm-hmm. people have to start putting money in the pot, right? So, um, so I think that that does uh, have an impact. But you can definitely, I think, compare um, where it's really interesting is to compare those values between candidates in the same race. So if you have um, two candidates, uh, candidate A and candidate B, in a particular ward, um, and one spent 7000 one spent 8000 and you look at their vote results, I think you can actually learn, like glean something from those statistics. But even then, you have to look at the different strategies. Some strategic approaches are going to be cheaper than other approaches. Um, you know, Paul alluded to having a lot, an army of volunteers. If you have a lot of volunteers... You can do a lot of things that don't cost money. So I think that brings us to Ward 2, where uh, that was a very cost-effective race. That money wasn't there uh, in the same way in others. But there is a much stronger grassroots community in Ward 2 than you'll find in Ward 1. So um, in in Ward 2, Councillor Elliott spent $8,000. Uh, his competitor nine thousand, and then third third place eleven thousand, um, but that's much cheaper than some of the other wards. But I think you're right that I mean, Councillor Elliot did have the ground support there um, to provide some of that uh, kind of subsidy there. Some some of the vote too. I mean, some of that stat when you're looking at dollar per vote is is highly skewed by the turnout. Right. If you look at Ward Three, I mean, they're spending that fourteen, sixteen, eighteen thousand dollars in in a ward with what a thirty eight, thirty six percent turnout. So they're they're fighting tooth and nail to get that vote out versus Ward One, 
Um, they may be spending the same. It looks like a more efficient uh, dollar per vote because the turnout is what double right but so many people in, in a high turnout ward like ward one they find their way to their poll the mm-hmm. polls on their own true um mm-hmm. so yeah. so yeah, you, people there. you well and and i you know to some extent i think that um a competitive race that spends money um and competitive races that spend money will increase turnout because they'll drive interest in that race but right. uh, you don't have to do that in ward one you don't have to drive the interest um don i i wanted to ask you um just looking at these numbers and looking at the dollars per vote um is there anything there that really surprised you uh i think to go back to a point paul was making about uh, how much you have to spend to be a, a credible mayoral candidate. I think when you look at the Ward 3 race, this kind of brings the point home quite well. Carolyn Postma, who ran third, but she only lost by 600 and change, 600 votes and change. She only spent $5,000. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the name recognition point of all this. I mean, Reno had a pretty good name. He had run before. Maggio, who ran in second, he, you know, he did a lot of advertising. He was out there spending a lot of money. But Carolyn you know, basically was within striking distance and spent a third of the money that they were spending. So that's an interesting point. And I want to talk about the Ward 4 race in that context, um, because name recognition can get you uh, to the threshold. But um, I want to talk about uh, uh, the second place finisher in Ward 4, um, Adriano Chaudely. Um Pretty efficient in terms of mm-hmm. dollars spent. Uh, his spending was $2,232. Um, he actually spent the least uh, of anyone except for the last place finisher. Um, and Adriano managed um, 24% of the vote, 1,552 votes, um, a reasonably close second behind Holt. Um, but if, you're, uh, if you were um, Chaudely's campaign manager, mm-hmm. um, you've got to be looking at that and asking yourself, what would an extra $1,000 have done? Oh, an extra 3000 mm-hmm. Right. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't efficient by choice. I mean, it was, I mean, I was his campaign manager, so. Oh, oh sorry, hey. man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you ran so many campaigns, we can't keep track. Okay, so tell us about it, Paul. I mean, literally, that's, you know, that's a, you look at those numbers. That's, a, you know, one lit piece away from from you know making it a you know a, a 10 vote race or so, so why, did, why didn't you crack race. the whip paul tell us what happened over there well i mean in, in adriano's defense too that's right when he had that surgery on his knee so the poor guy was lumping around quite a bit yeah but i mean um don has has run before and others have been involved in campaigns mm-hmm. I, I think it's a reality check for a lot of candidates too most people have no idea how difficult it is to mm-hmm. ask for money yeah and to get those big dollar donations is is extremely to sit down and look somebody in the eye and say okay dude give me a thousand bucks yeah mm-hmm. it's um, not easy no it's not and it, it's the hardest thing to do i mean i've been doing it for more than 20 years and i've been taught by some of the best and but i still got to kind of gear myself up to to do it it's a it's a very different it's not like asking for money for charity i mean charity is a different sort of uh, animal this is this is different it's just a bald-faced bear ask for money and, and now yeah. with the the campaign changes it's maybe you're you're asking for more fish not bigger fish yes so now you really have to figure out who your friends are and who you can ask and how you can hone your pitch because now that you you just have to ask for way way more so i think this is a really um a good point to make and there we're uh, more than a week away from the filing deadline um and speaking there's... of which just real quick we do have our live show next friday 
That's right. Yeah, that. we definitely have to tease that. We are doing a live show uh, next Friday at the filing deadline, uh, just a couple hours actually after. Uh, Thanks for reminding me. Um, I've got to get my security team together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple hours after the deadline, we will be having a live show at Fog Lounge. Um, and I hope to see lots of our wonderful uh, RCP listener friends out there because um, we're, it's going to be an opportunity to talk about uh, the races when they're set, which is yeah. really going to mm-hmm. be interesting. But I want to back up. And just uh, for those folks who may still be on the fence, obviously you know, some some wards have one person uh, yeah. running, and we don't think that's going to hold. So um, out there, there still are some people who are yet to file on the fence thinking about it. Um, and this goes back also talking about there may yet be folks to file on the mayoral side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't visualize yourself raising enough money to mount a credible campaign, um, you really have to understand, and I'm not saying that you have to win to get to succeed in a, at a ward race. There are lots of things that sometimes people may run to raise awareness of an issue. People may run because they want to set themselves up for the future. There are some people may run because it's cheaper than buying uh, bench ads for their real estate company. There are all kinds of reasons I'm right here. <laughs> why people, people might um, run for office. And, but if you, don't, if you don't see a path to secure, if you don't have a plan to secure the money to achieve your goals... Um, you really got to consider whether it's worth all the heartache. And well, hassle. I'll take I'll take the counterpoint to that as someone who did run and ran cheaply. Uh, for the record, I won based off cost per vote, so technically <laughs> I should be your city council right now. <laughs> One time we should look at who the cost per vote council would be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would actually be quite interesting. Uh, but my reason for running in that election was exactly what you said: was to set it up for the next mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Just want to do it to see what it's like. You know, get your feet wet, try to understand the process. And because, I, you know, at that time, Fulvio Valentinus was the counselor. He was running. You're not, you know, you're not going to beat him. Nobody even came close. Uh, and it was a pretty packed field with some good candidates. You know, take me out of it. Reno ran. Uh, Tristan. Yeah. Tristan ran a good campaign. He got a lot of votes. Uh, so, yeah, you can, if, I think you're right. If there's a plan down the road for why you do it, sure, run kind of get your feet wet and understand make all the mistakes now figure out what you did wrong and honestly just to meet people like the reality is if i had never run for that show unfortunate for the listeners of this show i would not be here because i met paul <laughs> i met paul through the award three debate yep. he had contacted me later and said hey do you want to come on the show and you know sit in for me you'd, you know you liked some of the things I'd said. So we have not been able to get rid of him since. <laughs> no, no. Well, I come for the free snacks. <laughs> the crazy how that back. works. <laughs> yeah. You keep changing locations and I just show up. It's <laughs> funny how that works. So yeah, I think if you have, if there's a plan going further down the road, a couple elections, yeah, run. But I do agree. If you're just, you know, if you're just going to throw your name in, you're probably just going to kind of skew the numbers if you have no real intention of actually, you know, running a real campaign well yeah. yeah you that's right um you have to these are first past the post election so you do have to consider before entering what is your impact on the race going to be and is it an impact that you want well, it to Ward be 10 is a perfect example in the last election i yep. mean we had councillor magni ran and then four thousand you know i think there was only three people who didn't run in war 10 so yeah. i mean <laughs> so and look what we got but don has a very good point though and, and i mean and sometimes it's a two or even three campaign plan in the future i mean a lot of people forget like joanne geniak lost the first time she ran drew dilkins lost the first time he he ran there's a lot of current sitting counselors who who lost the first time out like i would never if somebody came i would never advocate for somebody in this election to run against joanne geniak and try and spend ten twelve thousand dollars you might as well just 
take it all out in the front lawn and set it on fire. <laughs> it is. But, I, you know, I would say go out and spend 2500 3000 get some lawn signs, get a decent literature piece out there, and then go knock your heart out at the doors for, for three months and, and yeah. build yourself a credible name. And that's and a really good point. Um, sorry, Sarah, uh, yeah. but just to address that, that's a really good point that you raised because um, you do your lawn signs count toward your spending limit, but that's money you don't have to re-raise the next it's time It's in the around. bank for the next yeah. month. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, too, it's it's interesting to think about what your intentions are. Because if you are going in with that strategic intention, or this is a two, two-time strategy, this is a three-time strategy, I think you're going to be a much happier person. But I think what some people do forget is that there are four years between elections. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing between those four years? How are you getting and changing and raising that profile so the next time you're in a much better position? Because now, oh yeah, I remember you from last time and I remember you from this in the community or that in the community. So I think it's important for people to, to definitely remember that if you are doing this strategically, do it strategically. Yeah, Reno did that really well. Yeah. I mean, he ran in the 2010 election against yeah. me and he never stopped campaigning. I right. mean, he was always in the media i mean he had the restaurant here he's doing a lot of community events uh it, it is it's a if, you know it's a four-year process you can't just show up you know week before each election and go well i ran last time they'll remember me well that's right and and so if you're thinking about jumping in the race and you've done nothing in the community up until yeah. now you're going to have a hard time uh so we talked about it for the mayor's race let's just talk about what we think what's a credible floor to contend and we talked about all the variables and all the different ways that um they might impact or, uh, you know what that number is but don what do you think what's the bottom line what does it take to run a credible campaign and award i think not like you, yours no <laughs> not like my bogus campaign uh i think if you're running against an incumbent you have to spend as much as you got uh if it's just a bunch you know if it's an open ward like we have in ward eight this time uh you could probably great buy with six or seven thousand dollars i think what do you think paul i was thinking a little bit higher but around you know eight to ten um i'm adding up all the literature the you know uh, the, i, I the used a lot science. of those free vista print things they give you <laughs> if you log into their website you're ordering a hundred at a time hundred at a time yeah. um it, it you know it, it's difficult and and again the, the other factors the name recognition have you have you built a profile um, are you known in in your community? Um, yeah, there are there are some people within smaller communities like a ward or in sections of a ward who have like John Elliott is a good example. Um, when he ran the first time, I mean John is a fixture in in Ward Two and in in the far west um, through Stag, very very well known in the community. When when you have that sort of very hyper local profile. Mm-hmm. That can save you a lot of dollars in a in a in a local ward race. You got the you know a base of volunteers, uh, less dollars, but still, I mean, I I think you know at least around eight. Yeah. Okay. I think you're probably in the ballpark there. Let me let me tell you what my view is. I think an absolute floor would be around five thousand. Yes. If you don't have five thousand dollars for a ward campaign, you actually don't have the resources to do the bare minimum. Um, which would be to get your flyers to the door and get enough signs up to make sure that people know you're running. Um, so if you can't do that, uh, it doesn't matter what else you do um, because you can't, you, you really can't succeed. Um, but I, I tend to agree, like it's going to take a little bit more than that. So I was just looking here and I think Hillary Payne's campaign 
um, would be a representative campaign on the very low end. Uh, he spent sixty seven hundred dollars. Yeah, um, that's that's what the incumbent advantage of exactly which, and right. Windsor, which adds a huge, even more than most incumbents. And it was a squeaker. Yeah. So uh, so you talk about you know uh, if if he could have had that back. Would he have now? You know, we we know he's got budget issues now. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, but, could, he could really use that eight grand right now. Would, um, <laughs> but uh, would he have wanted to spend a couple thousand extra last time, knowing what a squeaker it was? Um, but he spent twenty four hundred dollars on advertising, um, twenty two hundred dollars roughly on brochures, and fifteen hundred dollars on signs. Now I assume he had an inventory of signs, so you know maybe double that and maybe add another three thousand, which yeah. puts you around eight or nine thousand. Um, and that's that's what it takes. Was he knocking on doors though last time? Uh, not a lot. Yeah, some, some targeted. So, I mean, that's radio ads, a brochure, yeah. and his lawn signs. Right, which is difficult to get a lot of lawn signs if you're not knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so by comparison, um, just to pick another representative campaign uh, to pick a winning campaign from that election, um, let's look to Ward Seven uh, if I can. And this, uh, this dead tree technology is not helping me here. Okay, here we go. Turn the pages. Um, Eric Kuzmerichik's, uh campaign, comes, he came in on the higher end. So he spent uh, 13500 as an incumbent, um, although he had definitely had a challenger. He would definitely be thinking of that um, handful of votes by election uh, in 2013 when he ran. Um, Eric spent $6,000 on uh, brochures and flyers, so you got to think that he had a couple of lit pieces, which is um, another factor in, in planning your campaign is how many different pieces do you want to get to those doors. Yeah. 6000 in a ward, say in Ward 7, would be, that would be three Canada Post ward-wide and delivered, which is powerful. Yep. And, yep. and, and very, very effective. Um, and that's, you know, if you can... If you can if you have the resources, if you can raise the resources, those uh, getting multiple uh, multiple pieces to the door is really going to help. Um, he had three thousand dollars plus in um, uh, sign inventory, and he spent a thousand dollars on fundraising. Um, that's uh, you know, it's so he spent twice what Hillary Payne spent in yep. uh, in Ward Nine, um, and but but I think that those are all justifiable expenses, and and I don't think that. Um, I don't think that that, you know, to go back to that dollar per vote uh, figure, I don't think it makes um, that win less credible or uh, oh, no. makes, makes no. the, you know, raising the money is part of the job, right? Mm-hmm. And he was barely an incumbent, don't forget. I mean, he one won year. the by-election yeah, the, the one year. year. I mean, I mean, you know, as I say, he, he had barely found the washrooms at City Hall and, and found his way around <laughs> and, you know, time for another election. So, I, will, I, mean, I will say, too, the campaign finances and the, the submission form is uh, from the olden times. So there's definitely some, some room there where you're not being re- very reflective of a modern day campaign. So they don't have any budget lines for, let's say, things like data or polling you know oh, yeah. polling data yep. or uh websites or things like that so you're not really getting you can see some people have put in that that work or put in yep. that that line but for the most part you i had to you know you can kind of guess who did that work All right. what, you put that under telegraph is that <laughs> what you put it on the yeah they didn't form? i mean the line for wireless uh, <laughs> they had one for internet Right. Phone and internet. Yeah. So does that mean that you paid for robocalls? Does that mean that you right. paid for polling data? Like, it's very vague. Not, not only that, but, I mean, you make a very good point in, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's very olden in, in yeah. so many levels. It's, it's 
not not transparent in the slightest. Anybody who's worked on federal provincial campaigns, um, in management or in finance or whatever else. I mean, after a federal campaign is done, it often takes eighteen months to two years before Elections Canada finally signs off on your election return and, mm-hmm. and you get your refund. They they go to a level of scrutiny on your receipts <laughs> and everything that that just absolutely scares you at times. And some people don't want to do finance for the campaigns because of it, where municipal campaigns are the exact opposite. I yeah, mean, you saw, nobody, I mean, it's what, three-page, four-page report, depending on how much you hand Nobody's in. checking anything. And you have to have it audited if you go over 10,000. But the audit is basically, yes, column A adds up to column B. Mm-hmm. And we think they followed the finance rules. That's about it. I, I mean, do hear that they frown upon documents filed in crayon, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard that from a friend. Uh, we are up against a break. So right. why don't we go to our break and uh, that uh, is anybody have before we do that anybody have any final thoughts on Well, I'll just say if I finance? ever run again, obviously after this last American election, I'm just subcontracting everything to the Russians and they'll get me elected. So. <laughs> it worked for Donnie. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back after this. Welcome to this week's Rose City Politics events calendar. Thursday, July 19th. Windsor Votes Municipal Workshop Series Getting Involved is at Gino Marcus Community Center. Femi Kuti and Drive Colossus are at St. Andrews. Friday, July 20th. Windsor Heat ACWR Members Exhibition and Fundraiser is at Artspeak Gallery. The Art Lab Grand Opening is at 1958 Wyandotte Street East. The 16th Annual Walkerville Art Walk is Friday and Saturday. Saturday, July 21st, Border City Brawlers take on Nickel City. Methodobs, Shared Arms, and Reliever are at the Royal Canadian Legion, Branch 12. Coach and Horses Reunion at the Dominion House, featuring 50 Wethead, Gypsy Chief Goliath, Reckless Upstarts, and Devils by Definition. Crash Detroit 2018 Showcase, featuring Detroit Party Marching Band, Chaotic Noise Marching Corps, and Jefferson Street Parade Band are at Marble Bar. Goodnight PA Release Party is at Chapter 2 Brewing Company to benefit Canadian Mental Health Association Windsor. The next regular City Council meeting is Monday, July 23rd. Check out Rose City Politics on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to premium content on Patreon. If you'd like your event featured here, please contact us through Facebook or Twitter. All right, welcome back to Rose City Politics. Just to reset the table for you, uh, we have a wonderful and good-looking panel uh, tonight. We've got myself, Doug Sartori, the exception to the rule, uh, Paul <laughs> Sinnott sitting across from me, uh, Don Merrifield conveniently out of arm's reach from me, so mm-hmm. I feel a little bit more comfortable in what I got to say. And Mad Dog Morris. And Mad Dog Morris. <laughs> you did compare me to Steve Bannon earlier, so I don't uh, know if the good-looking thing still stands. <laughs> the, the, the Steve Bannon of Windsor Municipal 2018. <laughs> yeah, carrying around that copy of Thucydides, Steve I thought it was Bannon a little bit weird. very nice hair for a 70-year-old. <laughs> In, in this half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit, um, it's going to be a little bit more freewheeling. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the new candidates in the wards, uh, in the municipal wards. Um, we're also going to touch on 
um, the uh, some some issues relating to uh, platforms for those candidates. Uh, and uh, we have that, that child poverty topic that we tease that we really want to get to. Um, we also uh, have a couple of guests in the studio tonight who are um, sitting on the comfy chairs just watching us. Uh, it's kind of creepy. They're right behind me. It's like I can feel people just... We have uh, incumbent Greater Essex County District School Board Trustee Jessica Sartori, uh, who... No relation. Yeah, um, no no relation. Well, we weren't related before we got married. Right. right. (laughs) I hope not. Oh, so you didn't run in the county. Oh, my God. Uh, Jessica filed her papers last week uh, to um, to run for re-election in wards one, two, and nine. Uh, and Alicia Higgison uh, is also here with us, and uh, she has recently filed her paperwork uh, to stand as a school board trustee in uh, Tecumseh and Lakeshore. So that's kind of interesting. We just happen to have those folks here. I think we're going to do um, a show focused on uh, the trustee races uh, sometime in mm-hmm. August. And there are some really interesting names in those trustee races. Uh, uh, I don't, I'm not going to have totally biased on that. Yeah. I don't have a list of, well, I don't have a list in front of me and I don't, so I don't, uh, I'm not going to mention them all, but I know that uh, um, multiple time uh, conservative party of Canada and uh, PC right. candidate, Henry Lau, uh, has declared um, his candidacy in wards three, four, and ten. Um, so far, uh, or I'm sorry, he's he declared his candidacy in five, six, seven, eight. Yes. Uh, the incumbents there would be uh, Gail Simcoe Hatfield and um, uh, Cheryl Lovell. Lovell. I want to say, yep. Uh, so there's there's definitely going to be some stuff to watch there, and we will uh, make sure that we give every single candidate uh, a mention and some time uh, to discuss there, or at least to uh, talk about who they are and what they do uh, in a trustee Greater Essex County and Windsor Essex District Catholic School Board uh, focus show later next month. Uh, okay, so new candidates. Um, Ward 3 saw its first candidate declare this week, uh, Patricia Copas. Um, a resident, uh, looks like a resident of Ward 9. Um, Patricia Copas uh, moved to Windsor last year from Bell River. Uh, she is a self-professed medical cannabis advocate who writes her own blog called Full of Bliss. Um, she has interviewed hundreds of medical cannabis users to find out how it is benefiting them. Um, she has previous experience as a restaurant owner, a computer trainer, and the owner of a small tool and die business. And the quote that Sarah uh, decided to place here is, the city should be run by people who treat it like a business and that the residents in the wards are the shareholders. So I don't know a whole lot about this candidate, except um, I had had a chance to look at the website. Um, the only thing that I, the only, the only editorial comment that I would make on that is that um, I actually hate that that line um, that the city should be run by like a business. Uh, I really totally fundamentally disagree with that. But I think, Don, you agree, don't you? I'm a big fan of businesses. Yes. So, you, uh, so I, do you think that the community should be run like a business? Hundred percent. Oh my god, let's not get into this. <laughs> after show topic. Like, no, no. Let me let me clarify that from a financial standpoint. Yes. Yeah. The services they provide, obviously, are the services they provide. But the math should always be run like a business. Uh, I don't know. I've known a lot of rapacious and disinterested business people, so I would have to disagree. Ooh, that's um, a good word. Thanks. Right. <laughs> uh, in Ward 4, I'd be insulted if I knew what it meant. we have a new candidate, um, Chris Holt. Uh, have we heard of this guy? Never heard of him. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a loser. Um, he's so far unopposed. Uh, just kidding. Chris Holt is the incumbent in Ward 4. 
Um, he resides in the ward, uh, and he won um, with 1,800 and change in terms of votes last time around, good for 28.57%. Um, uh, Councillor Holt did a, um, I just want to make a comment on this. If anybody else wants to, they can. Uh, I, I don't know, did any of you get a chance to see um, his launch video? Uh, I saw his Twitter picture of him in front of the building. So he chose... Or is that the one where he couldn't find the clerk's office? No. <laughs> <laughs> he chose to launch his campaign um, with a, an availability in front of and taking a video in front of the, um, the power building in the ward that is being... Uh, it's kind of a symbol, I think, for... Um, uh, well, it's a symbol of urban decay for many of us who are old mm -hmm. enough to remember, uh, you know, that that building and it's in better days. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting choice that he chose to do that. If you um, when you think about Chris Holt and you think about his brand, um, those are, uh, you know, maybe that would not have been economic development and economic revitalization might not have been the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of Chris Holt, uh, the counselor in Ward 4. Um, so for that reason, I thought it was a really smart uh, and refreshing choice on his part. Anybody else have some comments on the Ward 4 uh, launch? Well, I think the fact that he's standing in front of that building and the reason it's being delayed is because the permits are taking forever coming from the city is also very telling about what it's like to be a developer in the city. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay, that's an interesting point. So, I, I, I thought it, it it reaffirmed his brand, though, because I mean he he talked about it in in some of the interviews and everything else. I mean he's talking about the urban renewal. Um, Chris has long been an advocate for restoring and saving heritage buildings, especially in in the Walkerville area and, and in the neighborhood um, that he lived in. Even before he was on council, he was part of the. The group that advocated very strongly after the you know the 24-hour demolition of the old um, fire truck manufacturing business on Walker Road, where the developer was given the permit by a demolition permit by accident, uh, probably knew it, ran out, and the bulldozers down. were running by you know by midnight, and the building was three quarters gone the next day. It yeah. went that fast. Wow. Um, and it was a building. It wasn't uh, a registered heritage building, but it was on the heritage registry. It's on the so list. That's, yeah, so that's why they brought in the, the rule now that, I mean, that all the lists have to be consulted before that permit is, is, is issued. So, I, I mean, I thought it, the, re, uh, the, the renovation, the revitalization of the, the power building was great because it was such a long... I mean, we've all stared at that building, and how many people haven't thought, oh, it'll be great for condos. I mean, so much you could do. Great if they uh, tore yeah. it down. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Don played there in the 60s or 70s. I did, yeah. <laughs> me, and, me and Fog had all the art, All the artists that used to hang out in Love there it. in the studios. So I will also what I will say about the the Ward three and four race is that um, Councilor Holt and Borland have both really set a strong voice for themselves on council. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how these uh, candidates are really going to separate themselves from those brands, right? Like, how are you doing it better? How are you doing it differently? Why, why you rather than what we currently have on council when you have two pretty popular councillors? So that's going to be an interesting, uh, you, you can, know, dialogue in this. You well, can show election. up in a conductor's outfit and say, "I'm going to get on that train, Mr. Dilkins, vote for me." <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that's a really interesting point, um, Sarah, and I think it's a question that um, you know we we talked about the financial realities of running and planning a run mm -hmm. before the break but um, that's a question that you need to be prepared to answer and that you should be answering for yourself right. um, the, you know the, this is about the governance of the city this is not about sa satisfying people's egos or personal ambition um, if there is a uh, an incumbent in your ward 
if it's not an open seat, I mean, obviously open seats are different, but if it's not an open seat, um, you should have a good reason to tell yourself and a good reason to tell the community about what is different about you and, and not necessarily, not necessarily, um, uh, negative campaigning, but, but certainly, uh, why you want to take things in a different direction. I think that's a great point. Um, so in ward five, uh, Adam Castle announced uh, his candidacy, signed, uh, registered as a candidate for city council. That race is getting a little bit crowded. We now have four candidates in Ward 5. Three of whom are under 30. Yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm aging or not aging anyone, but I'm pretty sure everyone's under 30 in that race. Is that right? Yep. Uh, except, so, for except for Ed Sleeman. <laughs> so if you add three of them it's, together, they're he, still younger than you know, Ed moisturizes, <laughs> but, but it, it's still, I don't think he's under 30. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, I'm trying to recover now. Uh, <laughs> Adam, leave, leave, uh, leave the jokes to me. Adam Castle, <laughs> Adam, Adam Castle, uh, is an employee of WeTech Alliance. Uh, he is the director of venture services. Um, and, uh, he has a bit of a platform on his website. Um, he, uh, wants to optimize systems and services, uh, public transit, road repair, and a bikeable, walkable city. Um, he has a focus on creating safe and bright alleyways, opening new space for arts, culture, and community to thrive. Uh, he would like to see sewer enhancements and has a climate change action plan or would like to develop one rather. Um, an advocate of data-driven decision-making. I know you're a fan of that, Doug. I definitely am. <laughs> uh, we got to go where the data leads us. Sounds like a business thing to me. And uh, um, the creation of incentives to create more affordable and rental housing. So um, uh, Mr. Castle uh, has, certainly has um, policy ideas, which I think is great. And I just wanted to point out, um, this is probably an opportune time to do it, um, and, and uh, if you feel that you uh, should be included in this number, please tweet at the show. If you're a candidate, if you're a candidate and you're not listening, um, I hope somebody tells you that you should be listening to Rose City Politics. Uh, there are four candidates that have substantive platforms out there right now, um, some substantial amount of um, policy ideas out in front of the public, and those are Adam Castle, um, his uh, competitor in Ward 5, Joey Wright, uh, who has six platform points on his website um, with some detail. Um, Alex Agarwal has communicated some very specific policies that he'd like to see uh, in the community. Alex is a candidate in Ward 9. Um, and Xavier Gonzalez, uh, also a candidate in Ward 9, um, has some, uh, some pretty detailed policy ideas. Uh, he put a platform out on Twitter. I think we've talked about that before. I'm not sure if it's made it to his website yet, um, but there's something that's really interesting, or there's some th really interesting stuff in there, including um, my favorite uh, platform idea, which is um, selecting the makeup of boards and committees by a random selection from the uh, voters list, which I think is an awesome idea. But when we talked about it before the show, I don't think that I had a whole oh lot of God, support this in the idea, room. We can't Forced get into servitude. This. <laughs> that, uh, we can't get into this crazy it's like idea. Jury duty. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Honestly, I think more uh, more engagement by regular citizens um, and less uh, um, less possibly politically motivated populating of boards and committees would be really good for this town. Um, for sure. Okay, we can't get into this. Yes, we can, Sarah. No. Sarah, tell me. Tell me why democracy is bad. Tell me oh all about it. Forced, forced servitude okay, on any board. Okay, even though. by, all right, everyone, to be brought into this crazy debate. 
even by your example, they so tell us about this yeah. archaic tell us about uh, the example. Doug. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because no, I don't want to do that. Even in his example, in this traditional, even the way you want to talk about it, they pull a hundred. There was a hundred people Whose that they put, put forward. forward. Yeah. Sure. And That's what I mean. It is not everyone. It is a hundred people. So, so there is. You've sat on boards. I've sat on boards. There's a there. You need a level of expertise. You need a level of have. You need to be known in the not known in the community. You have to have an understanding. An understanding, or you're bringing something to the table. You need to understand governance. I don't disagree with that. Um, uh, there's there is a need for that, but um, at the same time. Uh, I That's think why they do have community so members. So to be though. fair to Xavier, we don't know what the actual details of his policy tweet idea at us, are. Tweet at tweet us, at us Xavier, RCB please. Um, but uh, I think there's, I think at least it's a provocative and interesting idea, and it got us talking, and it got uh, Sarah. Your provocative and it interesting got idea. Anti-democratic Sarah <laughs> sneering at me. I'm just a man of the people, Sarah. Oh, what can right. I say? Uh, in Ward, everyone loves jury duty. Yes. <laughs> For, you are now on the solid waste board yeah. for four years. For four, yeah, it's not even. It's not even like one case. You're there for the next four years of your life. Three meetings a month <laughs> at the at uh, the uh, Roy Romano. Yeah. You know what? I, before, I was like, man, this show's not getting very fired up. And then here <laughs> we are. Go. There you go. Now we're fired up. Um, we have uh, two uh, candidates have entered the Ward Eight race. Um, Patty Hayes of Westminster Boulevard. Uh, that's a resident of the ward, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, she is a um, constituency assistant at uh, the office of Taras Natashak. Uh, so certainly a political pedigree there. Um, and uh, also in the race is Gary Kastjak, uh, who ran in Ward 5 in 2014. <laughs> Um, and, uh, there is, he had a Windsor star piece about him. I think we're a little early, um, for Ms. Hayes. We just haven't heard, uh, we haven't had, uh, that, that press treatment yet, but there, here's some quotes from Kaschak. Um, I've lived in that area all my life. I've got 35 experience, years of experience working for the federal government, and I'd like to extend that work out into the community. Um, Kaschak said he would like to see the ward get a community center built adjacent to the Fountain Blue Library, as well as see improvements to parks, roads, and sewers. Kaschak has split his government career, career between Revenue Canada and Canada Border Services. Um, so that's interesting. Um, also in 2014, Kaschak was um, accused by uh, Dave Cassivi of plagiarizing uh, from the previous Ward 4 campaign. Um, he was alleged that he had duplicated almost word for word um, a word for campaign poster from 2003. Um, Kaschak at the time said that the uh, posters had accidentally had the wrong text sent to the printer um, and has apologized and had retracted the brochures. So, um, so Were you little... his campaign manager, Paul? Yeah, Paul, do you have something to do with this? Now that hurt. <laughs> That's just mean. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, and, Gary, and, uh, Gary yeah. lost me at Revenue Canada. So. And uh, uh, <laughs> Vladimir Putin was not <laughs> even in the room. <laughs> All right, we've got... Um, I we've, meant to say didn't plagiarize. Any, anybody have any comments on the new entrance to the races? Well, uh, I'm just going to pull from Twitter. Again, everyone can comment at RCP Windsor or on our Facebook Mina Williams, friend of the show. Uh, I'm here for the heated discussion on bringing back starvation. <laughs> that's, that's right. There you go. Uh, well, I, I smell a setup. Mina yeah. knows what time it is. Uh, and then uh, John Lidke is, of course, celebrating our wonderful show. RCB Windsor breaking down municipal election finance laws and spending in 2014. A 
collection, all of our sexy topics. What, is, what I really like is the person who replied to uh, John Lidke and still tagged us, <laughs> asking him if the show was worth listening to. <laughs> of course Buddy, it is, sir. Listen to the show. Uh, okay, final topic. Uh, overall, just, just for yeah, your please. run away from that overall, just... Uh, Going to, I mean, we're expecting a, a last-minute slew. I, I think Friday will be a busy day. Yeah, it usually is. But, but, I mean, counting. I'm still beyond stunned at how few people are running in, in this election. Especially I mean, after the last election. Um, I mean, we, I forgot to look at the figures, but we were we were north of 80 total mm-hmm. candidates for council alone. Now, there were there were more open seats last time. We're, we're close to open. Um, but uh, this has got to be a record low. And even, even if we get... 20 that that register in 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 the last week or so it will still be a, a record low. even if what, look, what more, do you attribute more that ward eight's open and there's not a lot of candidates right yeah, there, yeah. Right? i mean it, it i just don't get it this time it, it's the feel is i, I don't understand it it's Any really really Paul? strange and i've been racking my brains about it. I, I just can't get what the reluctance i mean against incumbents i mean against reno yeah um against chris holt i mean there there are two new incumbents you know second term um, but very, very strong performers uh, over the last while. Um, but something like the open races, um, I don't get it. Like every other time we get an open race and wins. There's 3,000 candidates. Right. I mean, they, they line up like crazy. It, it just boggles my mind. And I, I look back. I mean, maybe you remember it. I mean, I did all the research. So I, I can't remember. But I think it was 1958, 1960, something like that. It was one of our very rare female counselors back in the 50s was the last acclaimed counselor hmm. it's yeah. been a long a long time since we've acclaimed anybody at that level it just seems it just seems impossible to me that we'll have acclamations but who knows um sarah morris do you have any thoughts on the uh the light uh interest apparent interest in registration um there it's a strong council i think that there's you know that there is a very strong council happening right now um it's a dramatic council. I think for progressives, um, you're probably living in those particular wards. And if you're not, then, you know, then those are options for you. But if you're if you're a progressive in Windsor, you're probably pretty happy with who your counselor is, depending on which ward you're in. I'm in Ward 3. I'm very happy with, with my counselor. So um, there's not a huge push for me to want to go run or for any other progressives I know to offer anything any any different. So um, I think there's that. Uh, you know, maybe some of the financial part of it, it makes it a little bit difficult, too. Um, that That's always a... a a hurdle, but uh, I'd like to see more young people. I'd like to see more women, more people of color, absolutely, to be running. So please do so. Um, you know, a lot of schmucks can do it. You can do it too. So uh, there. Stop looking at me, Doug. <laughs> so there, there's something to be said about you know, just you can see there's a lot of people last time who didn't spend a lot of money, but they tried and they went out there. And one of them is sitting at our table right now. Uh, but it is, you know, it's something it's an opportunity to make a difference, to put yourself out there. And uh, if you're hesitating, I think you should just try it. Yeah, and as much as, you know, I didn't mean to scare anybody away by saying, you know, minimum amounts and everything else. Sometimes that first one is a learning experience. Yeah. You, yeah. You've, you've got to learn the basics of campaigning and learn how hard the work is and everything else. I mean, so so don't let us be too cynical in that yeah. regard and saying yeah. that you need a big pot of money and, and everything else. There there are other ways to go out there and do it honestly and, and you know, do it on 500 or 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 $1,000. Get your name out there a little bit. Learn. 
it, it gains you a, a measure of respect from a lot of people, in, including us. I mean, um, I didn't look and see what Joey Wrights was last time, but I mean, it, I, I would say he was one example here in my respect. I mean, he was he spent 20, I think it was like four or five thousand. He was twenty three last time. Yeah. Oh, I can Something tell like you. That. I can tell mm-hmm. you he, seven um, uh, seven thousand seven hundred and fifty three. Oh, okay. So I'm, I guess I'm maybe a reverse surprise, but he went out and worked it hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, and, and he gained a measure of respect, certainly, certainly from me. So, I mean, like I said, don't don't let us be too cynical well, in, even, in that regard. And he raised the most in individual contributions in his ward. And even tonight, he's having a fundraiser. So, yeah. there you so have it, guys. Knows, he knows how to hustle in that. Yeah. And, you know, that that's something very respectable. Well, even something simple that you have to do, knocking on doors and just talking to people. We've never done that before. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, a it's kind of a scary situation. Right. So, get out there and do it once. Right. And I will say, too... Um, even if you're not running, get involved in a campaign this election. Yeah. There's, you know, a lot of opportunities for you to volunteer. There's a lot of opportunities for you to see the process. And then maybe 2022, is that our next one? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Um, that That's going to be the time where you want to put yourself forward. As, but, as, as a campaign manager, yeah. I, I welcome all volunteers. Mm-hmm. The more, the merrier at yeah, all times. Yeah, but learn, <laughs> learn about the process. And yes. one way to learn about the process is volunteering. That's if you're happy with your counselor... Awesome. Go volunteer for them and go um, help them get reelected if that's something that you're passionate about. So um, two things I want to say. One is uh, apparently if you would like to earn the respect of Paul Sinnott, <laughs> take 100 bucks, go down to City Hall, <laughs> take a ward, register. Yeah. But then go knock on 12,000 do, doors. Right, and then do the work. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but uh, uh, kidding aside, I think there's two factors that might, um, might help to explain the relative lack of candidates so far. Uh, one factor is that in 2014, um, we did have uh, an open mayor's race, which I think drove a lot of interest. But also, mm-hmm. there were a lot of um, there were a lot of political organizers of um, varying levels of of clue. Uh, in 2014, there was a lot of activity. Um, there was a lot of heat, not necessarily a lot of light, a lot of candidates who maybe um, weren't as prepared as they thought they might be. Um, and I think a lot of those folks are not opting out of the process this time around, which is making for a little bit of a smaller field. That's one factor. Um, and the other factor is I think there's conversations happening. Um, look at Ward 2. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in War Two, it's certainly um, there That's was. That's a good example. You could have three other candidates. There's yeah, conversations yeah. happening between folks who are maybe not yeah. happy with the incumbent. And uh, although I remain an advocate of war- ranked ballots um, for ward races uh, and the mayor's race and municipal elections, um, I think that would be the best possible outcome or the best possible way for us to elect uh, councillors. I think that the community is doing a little bit of primarying on its own, and um, you know, folks are putting their egos aside and. Rather than fight each other, they are um, electing to uh, look at the landscape a little more carefully before getting in. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Yeah, no, um, no, it's true. And that's a good example. I, I had forgot about Ward 2. And yeah, there could be a degree of that going on in, in other places. Well, and you're right. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I mean, especially if you want to affect change. I mean, it's the way to do it, is, is, is to consolidate, to come together. I mean, pick your, your consensus candidate or, you know, somebody the community can rally behind if you really want that change, and then go out and make it happen. Well, it's been a, it's been a pretty contentious four years on city council with the mayor. I mean, obviously, we've talked about mm-hmm. the divide. Everybody's picking teams, and possibly with the campaign coming up, everybody's picking teams again, and they're mm-hmm. all everybody's just getting behind one guy because they're very upset either on either side about how this is all going down, so... Maybe there's a concerted effort just to really try to get somebody else elected. Or maybe there will be an insane flood over the next 10 days. <laughs> Which yeah. is what we can hope for. So uh, any, any bets on whether there will be an acclimation? 
I, I got to say no. I can't no. believe that there would be. Yeah, I'll, I'll run in like six wards just to like make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually against the rules. Um, so, so having spent um, a good chunk of time in the past week complaining that media doesn't cover this story. I'm, we're also not covering it because we're almost out of time. <laughs> wrong. We are going to talk about it, okay? We're at least going to take a couple minutes to talk about it. So um, there's, uh, there's a widely underreported piece of information that um, Windsor is one of the worst cities in the country for child poverty um that uh something like one in three children uh 30 percent something like that um we're living below the poverty line um as of the 2015 census which is a tragic figure and um in a well-run and just city would in my opinion um prompt activity uh from community leaders in in every kind of position to try to address this issue but we live in windsor um however we got an update, um, and uh, Statistics Canada has provided an update. Now, we still have the highest low-income rate for children, 25.7%. Um, um, but on the good news front, we also had one of the largest year-over-year declines of any um, census area in Canada, 2.1%, or approximately um, 1,600 young people who were below the poverty line as of the census in 2015 are now uh, no longer um, below the poverty line. So still a lot of work to be done, obviously, like we're still in the worst. Um, but we did see some improvement. Things are going in the right direction. And uh, I think there's probably some different reasons for that. But why don't we uh, see what the panel has to say? We'll start with Sarah. What do you think about that? Oh, man. This is... That's a great question. Um, I don't know. There's a... It's, I'm curious to know why the change was. There's always a lot of statistical reasons why these changes happen. Um, whether or not this has to, like, I, I don't have a fully formed thought on this. So okay. why don't we pass this back to, to Doug while I think about it so, a little bit more. So uh, you're asking about causes. I'm sure that some of my uh, yeah. friends on the panel may disagree. Um, and take it for with whatever grain of salt you want, because I am a partisan um, of the party of the current federal government. However, the um, the Canada Child Benefit uh, was um, started uh, following the 2015 election, following the census, and um, represents a significant boost in income to families at the um, the low end of the spectrum. And I believe that the CCB is probably accounts for the bulk of that um, that change. What do you think, Paul? I don't know if it I don't know if it had been implemented long enough to be statistically. Well, um, it, it didn't roll out in the very first budget, did it? This would have been, yeah, oh yeah, oh yes, it did. It would have I'm, been. I'm the, trying to remember the implementation right timeline. Right so this but would have been the. Following. I mean, I, I think it had a factor. I don't. I don't know if it's a, a complete factor. The measurement would have been the following year, so those incomes would have had almost a full year of. Um, a full year to uh, to run. So if you were if you were getting six hundred dollars a month per child and you were on the bubble of the uh, of the low income cutoff, right. you're over it now. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at, at the municipal level, it, it's difficult. I mean, it, because we we focus on the municipal. I mean, there there are plenty of of paths to go down at the, at the provincial and federal level. It's tough at the, the municipal level because they they control so little surrounding that but we we do have some um levers in our power and we've often talked about it in the show and and to this day it it still irritates me to no end i mean we're doing renovations to south windsor arena enhancing the uh, the community center out there ward two 
the, the, the area of the city that needs it the most still lacks a community center. I mean, and I don't care about attendance figures or anything else. The area of the city that needs that resource the most have been virtually forgotten. And it's never talked about, yeah, they're going to shoehorn something into the new medical complex that they're building there. It's not a true community center. It's an afterthought. And it it drives me beyond distraction to to see that. I agree with you. Um, Obviously, I I agree. I think that um, public works should have an equity lens to it um, throughout the community. Um, And we should be thinking about need. Uh, as well as, um, well, whatever else we think about when we decide where we should spend millions on a new community center. Don't, don't forget that was but, closed for the pool. But mm-hmm. a community center uh, isn't going to raise anyone out of poverty. No, no. It's gonna no. Mi- it may help mitigate the effects, yes. but it's not going to bring a child out of poverty because there's a community center in their no, neighborhood. No, not directly. But, I mean, they're, they're, they're in a lot of ways short of you know, moving past their mandate, I mean, and, and spending on programs that are outside the municipal mandate from a municipal perspective, um, there's not a lot they can do, but that's a great resource, um, to help people, especially with, um, Windsor, you know, outside of Toronto, one of the most diverse communities in in all the country. I mean, we are a border city. So, I mean, that's a place if, if you want to help, um, people, uh, get past the poverty line, is is with the community programs i mean it, whether it be you know english as a second language and, and other programs like that that are close to them they're not riding through two buses to get to some place to to get assistance it's in their neighborhood and and possibly you know somebody from within their their own culture or from the same experience that are that are helping them with it all, all those are powerful things that can help and and aid and that the municipality can do we choose not to for what going on seven years now they've been out without one there's really no one reason why we have a very high child poverty rate that's a lot of reasons there's not going to be one way that we end that so this needs to be a very holistic measure sure see i've come up with some thoughts now so this (laughs) has to be a very holistic measure of having uh, ensuring that um we're treating the issue at the parent level ensuring that they have access to further education access to um, employment opportunities which pay well uh, we have to make sure that our child care service is, is available to everyone so if you are working class if you are working a lot that you have access to affordable or free child care we have to make sure that um, education attainment is there as well there's great organizations in Windsor who are doing this work. There's new initiatives that are happening right now and that will be happening in a couple of years to address some of these issues. But one issue that is really hurting it and really not um, letting it progress is the fact that we don't talk about it. The fact that um, this is an issue that is very much um, under the rug that people don't want to address and uh, we can't move the needle forward unless we actually look at the problem and like I said, take on a holistic approach to it and addressing it from different uh, elements. I, I have a challenge just to build on that. I have a challenge for um, any of our friends in the media who are listening. Um, and I have a challenge for any municipal candidates who may be out there listening. Um, I would like to see every candidate um, address this issue in this municipal election. I would like to see every candidate be asked about this issue in this municipal election. I would like to see this as a debate topic. Um, in this municipal election, and I challenge, um, I challenge uh, especially our incumbent councillors who are running for re-election. I um, particularly challenge them to address this issue uh, publicly because um, 
this is a this is a serious problem in our community that has been underreported and uh, it needs to change. Don, what are your thoughts? Uh, to kind of take off on some of all of your points, I think something Paul had brought up. Windsor has continually taken services out of some of the most needy neighborhoods in the city. And not only that, we talk about it all the time. We've been talking about it years is the transit system terrible in the city. There's been numerous reports and discussions about some people can't even take a job because they can't get to it using transit. Uh, the people who need transit the most are going to be in lower income neighborhoods. They should be getting the most services for their transit. And the area, you know, if we're going to build a whole industrial area out on roads drive, if you can't get there, then nobody who is living in poverty is going to be able to get out there to get a job regardless. Uh, so that's, I think that's a very serious issue in the city. It's, it's an urban planning situation. Why are we putting places, you know, putting job opportunities where people can't get to our transit system is a disaster and has been a disaster for, I've been saying this ever since I've been on this show, uh, to go on your point, which, you know, I'm going to ruin my conservative street cred here right away. Uh, I think what Doug said is important with the child, uh, credit tax credit or the, uh, benefit that came out. What irritates me about it is why are people making $80,000 a year getting that? Why can't we give more to the people who actually need it? Uh, if yeah. we would focus that amount of money to people who – like someone like all of us sitting here, we don't need it. We can, we're all surviving on our own if we have kids. Yeah, much like old age security. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're going to give these benefits, give it to people who actually need it. Don't give it to people who don't need it because that now turns from a program to a vote-buying scheme because yeah. that's all that is. I think that's a fair point. So um, in the last few moments, uh, because apparently some people know where our studio that's is, right. which uh, I told you guys, guys to lock the door. Yeah, we got to remember to lock the door. But anyway, uh, it just so happens that as we're discussing um, the issue of child poverty, uh, Sarah Sipkar of the Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative happened to walk through the door. Uh, so uh, I would love to give you the last word on this topic. Sarah, what are your thoughts on child poverty in Windsor? So... Um Everyone knows that I'm, uh, I guess, passionate and engaged on this issue. And so I heard Paul speaking about community center and access. And I think for me, it's about, it's the issue of um, equity in terms of opportunity. So part of the DWCC, we run a barrier-free sports program, Sport for All, because we recognize in the downtown, and I can't speak for the West End in particular totally, but in the downtown, kids just do not have the same opportunity for physical activity as kids in other parts of the city. They don't have parents to drive them. They don't even have um, the the, res like the resources in terms of equipment, all that kind of stuff. And when you look at the um, compounding effects of that over time in terms of that, the quality of their health, a lot of those kids actually are, are struggling with um, different health-related issues, um, access to good and healthy and nutritious food. Uh, the Health Unit put out a great report a couple years ago. And so it's just about the compounding of issues. No, a community center or a soccer field isn't going to solve that issue, but what it is going to do, what it is going to do is increase their quality of life, which will over time affect them. And there's a lot of indicators that when kids have access and opportunities and, and create good habits when they're younger, then they'll follow those through later. So I don't want to keep everybody because it's really hot in the studio. <laughs> and I know you guys are a little over time, but I just wanted to add that in. So yeah, thanks, Doug. All right. Thanks very much, uh, Sarah Sipkar. Uh, always cool when uh, when the people who walk through our door um, have something to contribute and you're not scary at all. So that's a good thing. Well, 
Um, and uh, yeah, we did go over a little time, but uh, it's our show and we are all now melting. So I think we are going to call mm. it quits right now. Um, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, thank you very much to uh, Reno's Kitchen for providing the wonderful studio space at the Kitchen Studios. Thanks to you all for listening. Thanks to the panel, uh, Paul Sinnott. Dangerous Don Merrifield, Madman Morris, Mad Dog, Mad Dog, Mad Dog, Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Of course, Madman Morris is somebody else completely. That's yeah. your, like your arch enemy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's your alternate thanks. ego. Uh, thanks to uh, Sarah Sipkar also uh, for uh, joining us and providing your insights. Thanks very much, Sarah. Um, and that's all the time we have. So we'll uh, catch up with you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Rosé Baltics. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Just search for Rosé Baltics. On Twitter, at RCPWindsor. Or visit us at rosébaltics.ca. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber to help support production costs. You'll find the link on the homepage of Rosé Baltics. Until next week.